So as I said, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday, so I wanted to address this topic of abortion and life here today. Some might be thinking, why would a pastor want to get political? Well, this topic is not merely a political topic. We have unfortunately relegated it to just a political talking point in our nation. But as Christians, we must be different. I've spoken often how we cannot compartmentalize our Christian faith. We can't be Christ followers here and not here. It should, our Christianity must affect all aspects of our life. And we need to view the world how God views the world. We need to look to what God has said and then live and think in a way that he would want us to. So as we approach this topic, please consider the words. Consider the way that God thinks of this and then conform your thinking to the word of God. As Christians, I cannot express enough how we cannot be muddled in our thinking on this topic. We need to know what God thinks and what He commands of us. After all, Jesus said that those who love Him will keep His commandments. So that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to say, we're going to look at what does God think, and then what does He ask of those who are His people? First, before we get into that subject, some statistics about abortion. 47 years ago now, from the infamous Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade, after this decision, some 63 million babies have been aborted in America. And year after year, abortion is the world's leading cause of death. A quote from pastor and director of Rescue the Preborn, Brian Schrank. He says this, Since the Holocaust, Holocaust began on January 22, 1973, an estimated 63 million children, innocent image bearers of God, have been destroyed. 63 million. I want to try and put that number into perspective. That's nearly the equivalent of the population of the entire 12 states which comprise the Midwest. To put it into another perspective, it's been 17,155 days since Roe versus Wade. And that means, on average, 3,672 babies have been murdered every single day for the past 47 years. Those numbers are staggering. Some more statistics. Planned Parenthood, the abortion giant, they kill babies at an alarming rate. 39 babies are killed every hour by Planned Parenthood, to which our tax dollars fund. In 2018, Planned Parenthood committed 345,000 abortions. In 2017, there were roughly 862,000 pre-born American citizens that died of abortion. 24% of all women in America will have had an abortion by age 45. And right here in Indiana, 
in 2018, over 8,000 babies lost their lives in this state. Those exceptions that we often hear about, rape and incest. Well, what about rape? What about incest? We hear about it so often. Well, statistics show us that they are under 1% in each case for abortion. And if you were to speak to any OBGYN, they would tell you without a shadow of doubt that there is never a reason to abort a child if a mother's life is in danger. No, the doctor, their desire would be to both save the life of the mother and the baby. This is exactly why they got into the medical profession in the first place. They don't say we must kill one to save the other. No, their desire is to work as hard as they can to save both of them. And to the question of rape and incest, I want to tell you today, your sin is your own. And my sin is my own. Yes, sin affects other people. But we are only ever held accountable for our own sins. Aborting a child because their father was a vicious sinner is like giving the child the death penalty for their father's sins. The truth is, statistics are telling us that the vast majority of abortions, if not all abortions, are simply out of convenience. Simply because the parents do not want the child. This is the vast majority. Because the child is in their way, in the way of their wants, their will, their desires. That is what abortion boils down to. Abortion is a result of idolatry. It's a result of worshiping the God of self. It is the opposite of what God has commanded of us to love our children. It's the opposite of God's will for children. It is ultimately hate for preborn children. Abortion has been widely justified in our nation because many have bought a lie. Many suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They have worked tirelessly to sear their consciences on this very subject. And so many have dehumanized what's in the womb. The last thing that one who desires abortion or one who performs abortion or one who helps in abortion wants to think about is the fact that they are killing a human being. So they've created ways to help keep that off of their mind. They say things like the child is a parasite within the mother or it's a fetus, which ironically literally means small child. Or they'll say things like it's a blob of tissue or a clump of cells. This terminology has been birthed to make it easier to destroy life in the womb. But I must say, in the current times that we live, the conscience of this country is becoming more and more seared. And you will find that many no longer are afraid to call it a child to call it a human being, and even say that they are killing babies in the womb. It has become evident to me that this wicked sin in our country thrives because our nation is in love with sin, and we love the darkness rather than the light, and we have been turned over to gross idolatry, and abortion is a result of it. But this morning I asked the question, what is really in the womb? 
Not only does God's word say, but all scientific data points to the fact that life begins at conception. That that is a life, a human life within the womb. One source said this, from the moment of fertilization, the child's genetic makeup is already complete. Its gender has already been determined, along with its height, hair, eye color, and skin color. In other words, from the very moment of conception, that baby is its own person. More important than scientific data is the authority of all our life, the Word of God. And God proclaims over and over again throughout His Word that He is the one that works within the womb from the very beginning, from the moment of conception. He is the one that declared to the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I pointed you a prophet to the nation. So not only did God form Jeremiah in the womb, he also knew him before he was even born. Every single child ever conceived, God has known before the foundation of the world. It is he that gives life. It is he that gives a soul. It is he that is knitting together children in their mother's womb. Psalm 139 Verses 13 and 16 says this, For you formed my inward parts, speaking of God. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. A commentary on this verse says this, God was active as the unformed substance, in other words, the embryo, Grew and developed. Indeed, he is the one who formed my inward parts and me together. God saw him and even had written in his book every one of the days that were formed for him. The worshiper realizes that even before his mother knew that she was pregnant, the Lord was already showing his care for him. His personal life, it began in the womb. And God had already laid out his life's course. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 119, 73 says, Your hands made me and formed me. Psalm 100, verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep. Of his pasture. Certainly from scripture this morning you can see that God is the one who makes us. God is the one who gives us life. It is him. He gives it. He takes it away. And because life is his. And he is the creator of life. We have no right to destroy what God has given. Amen. We have no right 
to take away what he has called a gift from him. That's what the scriptures teach. That children, they're not a curse. I don't care how hard their life is going to be. I don't care what situation they are going to be born into. Scripture does not call children a curse. The Bible doesn't say that children are a burden. It doesn't say that children are to be discarded. It doesn't say that that children are to be thrown in dumpsters or experimented on. It says nothing like this. Instead, what does it say? That children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127 says that they are a gift from God. A gift from the Holy God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. I want you to think about that today. Take it to heart because we so easily forget that our children are a gift from our Heavenly Father. They are a gift. And as you think of the fact that children are a blessing from the Lord, a gift from the Lord, do you not see the utter rebellion in our nation? See the utter rebellion in someone's heart when they receive this great gift from God and then they discard as if they could care less. Instead, when someone finds themselves with child, they should remind themselves that God has shown them great grace, great favor, His love today, far more than they ever deserve. A child is a blessing from God, no matter what. Psalm 127.4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Not cursed, not burdened. Blessed is the man. You have three or more children in today's society. You'll be looked at as if you were crazy. But what scripture says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Children are a blessing from God. Children are a life that God has deemed valuable. A life valuable from conception. I want you to think about the incarnate Christ. Mary, his mother, would be, be with child. Matthew 1.18 says that, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Nowhere do we see the Messiah ever referred to as anything less than a human being. He was spoke of as a child from his mother's womb. From the moment of conception, Mary knew she carried the son of the living God. In Luke 1.35, it says that the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Even Joseph was told in Matthew 1.20 that what was conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit. Never do we get a hint from Scripture. Never. One single iota do we ever hear that a pre-born child is anything less than a child created in the image of God. In the first chapter of Luke, when Mary 
the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John, met. The text says that John the Baptist, still in his mother's womb, leapt in his mother's womb. As if, as if he knew he was in the presence of Jesus. The presence of the king. Something very interesting about this account is Mary was only about two weeks pregnant. In other words, the incarnate Christ was still an embryo. In the text, every bit of the text is referring to him as the Lord, as a child. The text tells us that even Elizabeth knew that she was in the presence of the Lord. John the Baptist in that text, it says that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Not an it, not a blob, not a parasite. It says he is a person and that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. The Bible over and over again speaks of children in the womb as no different than a child that is outside of the womb. How valuable are these children in the womb to God Almighty? I would say immensely valuable. Since we've established that God deems children that are in the womb as human beings, then we must also conclude that God values what is in the womb as much as He would value any of us. Since that is a human being in the womb, the value for that child is the same value as you and me. Absolutely no exception. What is in the womb is a human being that is valued by God, no matter what. If they have Down syndrome, they're valued by God. If they are a male or a female, they are valued by God. If they won't live long after birth, they are valued by God. If they're going to end up in the foster system, they're valued by God. God loves the little children of the world. The child is valuable to God because human beings are valuable to God. Hear me today. You might ask why. It teaches that human beings are the crown jewel of God's creation. That He created us above the animals. And that we were created in His image. As it says in Genesis 1.27. Created with value, with dignity, and with worth. Created in His likeness. This is what the Scriptures teach. Created for Him and His glory. Human beings are so valuable to God that He said in His Word in Genesis 9-6 that whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in His own image. God says people are so valuable to Him that if you shed their blood, your blood is required. Biblically, It is always wrong to take the life of an innocent child. Exodus 20 verse 13 says, you shall not murder. Exodus 23 verse 7 says, do not kill the innocent. Proverbs 6.17 says, the Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates this evil. That is the truth of what scripture is teaching us. He deems it murder. And all 
who do it are guilty in his eyes. And I promise you today, this is nothing new. God has always hated this, as he is the same yesterday, today, and for all of eternity. He has always opposed the shedding of innocent blood. You know, we see something in the Old Testament that is very similar to abortion. It was called child sacrifice. And I believe that abortion is truly a form of child sacrifice in our modern day. One source gives us insight to what child sacrifice was. Child sacrifice practiced in the name of Moloch, a god of the Ammonites, a small g-god. Moloch worship was practiced by the Ammonites and the Canaanites, who revered Moloch as a protecting father figure. Images of Moloch were made out of bronze, and their outstretched arms were heated red hot, and living children then were placed into the idol's hands. And there they died, and they were rolled into a fiery pit. In doing this such abominable practice, they hoped to bring fortune, wealth to their nation. And hear me today, it was an abominable practice to God. He despised it. In Leviticus 18.21, he says to the, the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel, here was his law to them. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. In Leviticus 20, he goes on further about this. These are the words of God. Say to the people of Israel, Any one of my people of Israel or strangers who sojourn in the land, who gives any of his children to Moloch, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I myself will set my face against that man. And I will cut him off from among his people. Because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man, when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and his clan and I will cut them off from their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. This was the word of God to his people. Can you see how much God hated this practice of child sacrifice? It was truly evil in the sight of God. And we know from the Old Testament that eventually the people of God would break this command, that they would offer their children up to Molech. Jeremiah 32:35 says that they built high places of Baal in the valley of the son of him offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. The ESV study Bible makes comment on this verse saying this, God hated such a practice, hence he did not command it, nor did it come into his mind. That last expression does not mean that God was not aware of it or that he did not know it was going to happen, but that he did not have the slightest thought of approving 
such a horrible practice. Not even the slightest thought. Charles Spurgeon, he noted on on child sacrifice, he said this, They, the people of Israel, were spellbound by the cruel superstition and were as far as even to become murderers of their own children in honor of a most detestable deity, which were rather devils than gods. And they shed innocent blood. The poor little ones whom they put to death in sacrifice had not been partakers of the sin. And God looked with the utmost indignation upon the murder of the innocent, and the land was polluted with blood. The promised land, the holy land, which was the glory of all lands, for God was there. It was defiled with reeking gore of innocent babies and the blood-red hands of their parents who slew them in order to pay homage to the devils. Alas, alas, what vexation was this to the Spirit of the Lord? You know, some might say in this, well, that's child sacrifice, that's not abortion. But I'm here to tell you today they are very similar. Think of the heart desire behind both of them. Self-centered, the murder of innocence, the desire for material wealth, they are all the same. One source put it this way, There is also a correlation between child sacrifice and modern-day abortion. Unprecedented numbers of children have been sacrificed at the hand of abortionists for the sake of convenience, immorality, or pride. Hundreds of thousands have been killed so that their parents can maintain a certain lifestyle. God hates the hands that shed innocent blood, and we can be sure that God will judge this horrendous sin. You know, when Cain, when he killed Abel, the scriptures tell us there that Abel's blood, it cried from the ground. In other words, retribution was required. Justice was required. And the blood, it cried from the ground, calling out to God for justice. I want you to take that thought and now apply it to America. Can you imagine the blood that cries from this land to our God? It should be a shocking thought. It has been said, and I believe it to be true, the greatest national security threat for America, it's not ISIS, it's not Iran, it's not North Korea, but it is the judgment coming from the living God. The greatest national security threat to this nation is the fact that we murder our babies by the millions. Our great heart desire should be to beg God that our nation would repent, that he would purge this evil from our land, that he would forgive us, that there would be great revival in this land. If not, I certainly agree that abortion is our greatest national security threat. See, God hates this sin. And the wages of it in Scripture are clear, that it is death. And we can hear from Scripture that vengeance is His. 
and his desire for all who partake in this holocaust, in this land, he desires us to turn away from this wickedness. He desires for repentance and revival to come. He desires for people to flee to Christ and be forgiven. But what does he expect of his people? So we know what God thinks about abortion. It's very clear from his word. He hates it. But what does he expect of his people in light of this? What's he expect of those who love him, who say, I love God? Well, he expects us to keep his commandments. First, I would say God expects this of us. For the great commission to be applied to those who have had abortions, those who have committed abortions, those who have worked in this industry. We as a church have been commanded by Christ in Matthew 28, 19 to go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This nation, these nations include mothers and children, abortion workers, abortion doctors, all who, while the wages of this sin is death, ultimately the consequence is their life. But we know from Scripture that Christ gave his life in the place of sinners. He gave his life so that sinners could be saved And yes, this includes sinners who have shed innocent blood. The first and foremost thing that Christians must do is that we must bring the gospel to all who have played a part in this holocaust. We must preach good news to the captives of this holocaust in our land. We must call people to repentance. We must call people to trust Christ. We must call people to have all of their sins forgiven In the name of Christ Jesus. To call those who have had abortions. To have all of their guilty stains washed clean. By Jesus Christ. He was crushed for the murderer. He was crushed for the idolater. He was crushed for the sexually immoral. He took the vengeance owed upon his own shoulders. He bore the wrath of the Father. That all sinners who trust in him. Can be saved. This is the truth of Scripture. And as Christians, this is what we must take to this fight. The gospel is the answer for our nation. The gospel is the answer to the heart problem that our nation has. The gospel, as God says, is the power of God unto salvation. It is what God will use to remove hearts of stone that are bent on killing their children. And he will give them a heart of flesh filled with love and gratitude for their children. We must bring the gospel to this fight. And I'm going to tell you this morning, if you can't get this right, then stay home. If you can't get this right, then you can't come to this fight. We have people hope in Christ. We have to give people the grace of God. We have to tell them about the love of God. That God has shown sinners His great love by sending His one and only Son. If you can't get this right, then you need to stay out of this fight. 
this is where we have to start. Getting of grace. Knowing that this is what we must offer the hopeless. You know, abortion ministry really should be our reasonable service to God. It should be a natural reaction for a Christian to get involved in this. Remember, he gave everything for you. So now give everything in your life for others. Offer yourself up as a living sacrifice for the preborn neighbors. Love like Christ has loved you. Christ has called his church to be the light of the world. To be beacons of hope in the darkness. Is there any greater reality of the darkness in this land than the murder of our own children? Is there any greater proof that we need that we live in dark times in this country? And we need Christians to stand up and be the light of the world. To be a beacon of hope in the darkness. To be those who give the gospel of grace. Christians need to be light in this darkness. Helping mothers who would kill their children. Pleading for the lives of children. Pledging to help however we can. Be willing to adopt those children. Be willing to make a difference in mother's life. Be willing to help with the means to see babies live. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Did you hear that? Pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans in their affliction. You might be thinking, well, an unborn child is not an orphan. That child has a mother, right? But effectively they are. Effectively they are because the mother is desiring to abandon her child unto death. Effectively, that is an orphan. And God has called his people to be there for the orphan in their time of distress. And I'm going to tell you today that a child could not be in any greater distress than to be abandoned unto death by their mother. We are to be, therefore, our unborn neighbors. Also, James, he calls it pure and undefiled religion. In other words, this, this desire to be there for the orphan, it's coming from a transformed heart. A heart that has received the sacrificial love of Christ and is now willing to go and sacrifice for others. Going to the most vulnerable. Going to those who are in most need and helping them in their times of trouble. This is not easy. This takes great dependence on God to help those who are helpless. And this is our call from God to visit the orphans in their time of affliction. What else can Christians do? What else can we do? Well, we're also called to be the salt of the earth. Not only the light, but also the salt. Salt was used as flavor or a preservative the world is dark and it's decaying it's an evil place christians as the salt of the earth are to be a force for good 
They are to be a force for good, a people driven to uphold righteousness in the land. This is literally what it means to be salt of the world, to be those who would press back the decay, to press back what is evil in the land, to hold back the depravity. That is our call. And I want to ask you this morning, if Christians will not stand up and demand justice for the innocents, who will? If the church will not be the buttress of the truth, if we will not call for just laws that will protect the innocent children, who on earth is going to do it? If Christians won't be the salt, there's no one else that's going to do it. Are you going to expect the pagan to all of a sudden rise up and start to be moral? To start to stand for holiness as God is holy? I don't think so. If we will not be salt, there is no one else out there that will. If Christians will not stand up for justice for the preborn, who will? Isaiah 1.17 says this, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. As Christians, a part of being salt is to call those who rule over us to their biblical mandate in Romans 13. There, the scriptures tell us that the government, its sole purpose is to reward the good and punish the evildoer. To literally protect the innocent and punish those who would hurt the innocent. And this is what Christians should be calling for. And I'm going to ask you again, if not us, then who? If we will not be the salt. Christ said of salt that lost its saltiness. That it was of no use. No use for the soil, not even for the manure pile. It was to be thrown away. That was the words of Christ. As Christians, we cannot be satisfied until abortion ends in this land. We should not rest until this fight has accomplished what we desire. And we see the sovereign God end this holocaust. We cannot be satisfied until abortion is ended. And I personally believe criminalized. Yes, this morning I said criminalized. And as Christians, we need to be bold in this fight. And we can no longer roll over to the enemy and just take his talking points and believe every single thing that he says. No, we need to stand up for what God says in his word. What I'm not saying is that we should go around and round up and punish everyone or every woman that has ever had an abortion. No, what we should do is preach the gospel of grace to them and hope that they find true forgiveness in Christ. But what I am saying is that when abortion ends in this land, notice how I said when, because I believe with all my heart that God won't let this go on forever. It will end. And when it ends, we must desire for justice. We must desire to have laws that have consequences for any who take part or even have an abortion. 
And I want to tell you today, if not, then the law will have no teeth and be worthless. Just think of something mundane as speeding. Think about getting pulled over for speeding, but there was no speeding tickets or no traffic violations. Would it stop you from speeding? People speed all the time right now. Even with the threat of speeding tickets, let alone without. What would happen if there was no consequences to speeding? The police officer pull you over. What would he say to you? Bad. Stop that. Don't do it again. What would you say? Okay, officer. <laughs> as soon as he's out of your sight, what are you going to do? You're going to go speeding off again. There's no consequences. A law consequences is absolutely worthless. As Christians, we should desire to see abortion ended and there be consequences for abortion. And really, right now in the state of Indiana, there is such a law. There is a bill that is, that is being considered. It's called Protection at Conception. It calls Indiana to outlaw abortion outright and then enforce it by law. And also it says that if Indiana were to pass this, that they would then defy the federal government. That they would stand up for the lives of the preborn no matter what. Even the federal government says no, that they would stand up against them. And I say children are worth the fight. I say they're worth it. You know what we see states fighting for in our day? Defying the federal government? Marijuana. That's what we see them fighting the federal government on. Think about all the states that have legalized marijuana. What's the federal government doing? Nothing. What's another issue? Illegal immigration, sanctuary cities. We see these states standing up to the federal government. What's the federal government doing? Nothing. But yet, where are the states, where are the Christians who will stand up against abortion and say, we don't care what you do. We're not murdering our children here any longer. We are going to fight for our children. Instead, this nation, it fights for what is useless. Marijuana. This morning, I want to leave you with this. The call from Proverbs 24, it goes like this. Proverbs 24, 11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling towards the slaughter. It says in verse 12, If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over you over your soul know it, and will he not repay every man according to his work? God knows our hearts in this battle, and we have no excuse. We all know what is going on. Children are being thrown in dumpsters in our very neighborhoods. God expects us to keep his commandments, and we say we love him. We need to keep them. If you love him today, please love your preborn neighbors.
enough to fight for them. Let's commit to fighting for those who have no voice in our nation.